Hello, I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and uh, welcome once again to the Companies and Markets Show. I am joined today by Stephen Wilmot, Companies Editor. How are you doing, Stephen? Yeah, good, John. Excellent. And uh, Bradley Gerrard, News Editor. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm um, good as well, thank you. Good. And uh, over in control room, Graham Davis. Today. How are you doing, Graham? I'm fine, John. Good. Thank nice you. holiday, yeah? Very nice holiday. Nor- Norway, wasn't it? Norway, yeah. Really interesting place. Lovely. Right, beautiful. Yeah, expensive. Yeah quite expensive. Well, Krona's come down a bit with the oil The price. Krona has come down a lot, actually. But it's about 30% cheaper than it was even a year ago. Good timing. Mm, Lovely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, it's uh, been an exciting week. Uh, obviously, China has dominated the headlines after what uh, it's essentially its state mouthpiece, the uh, Xinhua. Is that how you pronounce that? sounds that? as good as I could probably do, so yeah, we'll go with okay. that. Yeah, okay. Stephen, you, you, uh, you, 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 you usually the go-to <laughs> man on this, this sort of thing. No, well, I did. What is the, uh, is, is the word for speech? Okay. They described the events of Monday as Black Monday. They did. China's Black Monday, because the, the, the Shanghai Composite there fell 9% Monday and got worse Tuesday. So that has dominated... Uh, the headlines this week, as I write in my editorial, some some pretty pretty lazy headline writing going on there. Some pretty lazy lazy reactions to this uh, this whole debacle. Um, but it's worth talking about. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you've written about it in your uh, taking stock column. Yes, um, and obviously, uh, I think Bearable's written about it as well. But uh, okay, so what does it all mean? As, what, has, I mean, as has Simon. So yeah, and Simon do, too. Do buy the magazine this week for some comprehensive analysis of the China situation. So what are, what are we concluding? I guess, I mean, what's interesting is that on Monday, everything got dragged down with it. Um, and then on Tuesday, back end of, well, the middle of this week as well, everyone's gained a bit of sort of, had a bit of a sense check, basically. Mm, turnaround, turnaround Tuesday, they exactly, called it, Exactly, yeah, they? or, you know, whopping Wednesday. Or and, then, and then we had a kind of wet Wednesday, <laughs> yeah, a I mean, wet Wednesday, and now it's... Uh, it's tied. I can't think of a word for Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Something or other Thursday. Thri- thriving Thursday. Thriving Thursday. 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 Mark's up 3% today. Up 3% up, so far uh, today as we speak. Yep. Yeah, America's um, flying. Uh, yeah. So it just kind of seems that, y- yes, China is a worry, but then people have been talking about China's potential growth rate as a worry for some time. So it kind of seems like that Monday scared everybody. And there's you know some commentators, even the FT's um, Lombard's column, you know, there's a hint maybe that there's a, a B team left in the city to trade while the main A team array on holiday. So maybe that combined with the lack of liquidity means that markets fell more sharply than they might have done in other months. Well you mean so the substitutes panicked when <laughs> well, the uh, when the stars the were taken off the pitch by some people. Obviously if I was part of the B team I'd obviously be very angry about that assertion but that's a an oh, argument. It's, de- it's definitely worth pointing out that we're in August and I mean I think one of the messages of your editorial John was that it might, and indeed Simon's position was that it might be worth waiting until people think about this a bit more when they come back from holiday, which tends to be after the bank holiday weekend. Yeah, because what I said was don't buy on the dips, because a lot of a lot of people seem to be when it, when you uh, you know had a look through the Twitter sphere, you know, oh, this is the greatest buying opportunity ever. Well, and, well, the, well, I, and, and the market. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Uh, so my point was, well, don't rush in just yet. And I've been proven wrong by the bounce today, but I I'm still sticking to my view because. I don't think the worst of the fallout from China is yet to hit us. You know, we were rescued, arguably, by the uh, Chinese uh, shifted monetary policy. Yep. Well, well, I think this is the, this is the crucial um, point, isn't it? And, and I mean, the last time we had a correction a bit like this was last October. I mean, this is more severe in terms of sheer numbers. Mm. Um, but I mean, if, if we cast our minds back to last October, we had a basically a growth wobble in Europe everyone suddenly worried about German exports uh, and the, the market plunged by about 10% and then um, sure enough um, interest rate expectations of the first interest rate rise were pushed back 
And suddenly everyone was like, oh, actually, the situation hasn't really changed because um, monetary policy is, is still there to bail out investors at any point where it, it looks like there's a financial panic. Well, indeed, and, and, and the front page, front page of the FT today, I think there's a comment yeah. from uh, from a Fed official saying, exactly. actually, you know... Uh, and we've had, we've had exactly the same situation this time. So, I mean, I think it just goes to show this situation, which is far from ideal in the long run, where every time there's a bit of a market sell-off, people use it as a, an excuse to, to remain dovish, um, which obviously builds up problems in the long run, not least in China. But it, it does mean that effectively this the, the, this bull run, it, it, you know, ha- has... It doesn't look... From, to my mind, anyway, it doesn't look like it's expired yet because the, situa- the fundamental thing which has been driven it, which is the monetary liquidity hasn't changed and that it that pact between investors and policymakers is still there as i see it pact yeah suggests there's some kind of uh, some kind of agreement uh, well, and I, when uh, <laughs> when actually it's more a case that one is trying to second guess the other mm, but yeah no i mean it's the relationship between the two two is is kind of in, is bizarre and you're you right, could argue it's, it's sort of self-serving in a way you could argue the markets have a gun to the Federal Reserve's head. Yeah, if there's, a, if there's a worry, then the markets hope that a central bank will step in, which they, which they seemingly have so far do. have done. Yeah, and time and time again. And, then, and you know, the concluding point of my editorial um, is that that actually many people think, as you suggest, is going to store up trouble for the long term. But it, it certainly does, and I guess this is the issue that China's had, and that it you know that it, it stores up issue because of this issue of moral hazard, right? Because um, you're creating an incentive to take risks if you're effectively rewarding risk-taking by um, punishing any kind of market falls. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the, the issue that China's had, obviously, is that it had this enormous stimulus in the wake of the financial crisis, which has led to very re- low returns on investment. And it's now trying to kind of liberalise the market to the point where people don't assume it's a one-way bet investing in China, which it has been because of the, um, unu- the state-controlled capitalist model they've had. And uh, and it's tr- it's sort of trying, seem- seems to be trying to kind of unwind that um, philosophical position. But at the same time, it's sort of panicked, you know, it did bail out and to then kind of stop bailing out the market. I mean, we, anyway, we've seen every position imaginable in the last couple of months from the China's authorities from Oh, well, let it slide to we can't let this happen. And mm. um, and anyway, it just shows a bit of kind of um, skittishness. I think they call it flip-flopping. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, flip-flopping to me is not a sign of anyone in, in, in particularly uh, strong control of the situation. Um, and, I, I, and I think the Fed can be accused of flip-flopping and I think the, the Bank of England can be accused of flip-flopping. Their responses may... Uh, support markets and, and the continued uh, upward movements of markets now. But, you know, this does not feel like a situation that we or they are in control of. And I think, you know, I mean, let's move away from this general, because it is becoming quite philosophical. Um, uh, some are taking complacent, but there you go. Um, you know, we've, we've taken uh, a view on house builders this week, which we discussed last week. Yep. So we kind of actioned that this week. I don't think we've uh, we haven't bailed in the way that that perhaps my my cautious nature would have liked us to, um, <laughs> no, because think, we couldn't convince Jonas that, that, that this whole thing was about to fall yeah, apart. Jonas, and I think that's quite sensible. Yeah, actually, I mean, I think we took has. a pragmatic approach, and Jonas um, kind Jonas, of Jonas Crossland being our, our property writer, and he, he's really been right on the house builders for during the the bull run they've had. I mean, he's been bullish throughout, and that's been the, the right position to be. And um, yeah, we've had a discussion in the office about whether we should moderate our stance 
that, but but I mean, it, I mean, the whole situation has been sort of thrown into relief by the past week, hasn't it? Because it looks like house price inflation is slowing. It looks like cost pressures are building. On the other hand, we've had a further push out in interest rate expectations, mm. which is the big crunch point for the house builders. So recent events have pulled the sector both ways. And, and I think Jonas does justice to that tension. I'm not 100% convinced that interest rates are their biggest worry now. Because if house prices are moderating, is or how house price growth is moderating, mm. um, and cost pressures are not, in fact, mm. cost pressures are rising, then it doesn't matter what interest rates do. Yeah, we are already in right. a benign interest rate environment. That's right. Their margins will if their margins will suffer. Yeah, the, the mechanics of it, I suppose, are if house prices are growing at only two percent rather than four, and cost pressures are are growing at double that. Which is not unrealistic, then then then, then the margin going to get hit. Yeah, but that said, I mean, Jonah talks about around a number of other issues, um, such as, for example, the strength of their land banks. Yeah, yeah, um, which I think really yeah, underpin the, the huge cash generative properties of these these yeah. companies. They've got yeah very low costs land banks that they've built up, you know, with land prices still reasonably cheap because um, banks aren't in a position to lend to smaller house builders, so there isn't quite the same competitions there was back in 2005 6 7 so so i guess the balanced view is you know we've uh we've kind of moved some to hold so yeah. you hang on for the dividends perhaps not the time to buy into the sector uh although one or two perhaps are still looking very attractive and, and a couple don't look so attractive now yeah i mean i think as um you know jenna's gone through each of the companies that we that we you know cover closely and um some as you say there's an income element to you know there's an income reason to hold on to the shares that huge cash piles that they can return mm. to investors that sort of thing um i suppose the thing that has moved is um one of the buy tips um was barrett which uh, jonas is recommending selling now um and bovis is being moved to a hold which is quite interesting but um yeah it's worth having a look at the piece itself uh, in the magazine because there's also a table of showing how much the share prices have risen of the stocks that we cover and it's uh very interesting yeah i suppose yeah. it's worth saying that the lead result um um, in in this in this week's results section is Polypipe, which is just which is a company that most readers probably won't have heard of. Um, it only floated last year, and um, it makes piping, uh, and it's been thriving on the on the housing boom. But you know this is a a good example of how you might take a slightly more subtle play, should we say, on the on the growth of the sector, um, which does, isn't subject to these cost pressures. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, polypipe is really interesting because I mean, this plastic piping. Mm. Okay, so you, the trend has been to replace lead with plastic. Lead, lead. What, uh, what century are you living? Copper. I think you're guttering. Um, no, I'm not sure mo- I do guttering actually. So, yeah, <laughs> and that's being replaced with plastic because of the convenience of fitting it and because the copper price has been high as well that you know an alternative needed to be sought copper price isn't so high anymore yeah that's um which is quite interesting interesting one for polypipe actually yeah it is an interesting one i think we need to look at that uh, yeah. but you know polypipe's doing really well anyway yeah and really we, really well we we've we've got them on a buy um and yeah it's amazing the shares are up a third since our buy tip and that was only in april okay um on the, on the other hand the commodity producers yeah Including which, Antofagasta, which makes the copper that I so yeah, covered. Indeed, yeah. Not not going so great. Yeah, the, the results section this week is dominated by well, there's BHP, BHP spin-off South Thirty Two. We we have all of these companies pretty much on a on a slightly neutral hold recommendation. It just highlights how hard it is to predict these um, these kind of companies because 
that there's what they're selling is is guided by global pricing and you know bhp's on an eight percent yield i mean we've talked about there being value in bhp for over a year but you know we've been proven wrong at each time we've sort of mulled over that one because uh, there's been a further kind of downward leg in the iron ore price well indeed and as they say don't catch falling knives so Mm. uh, you know wait wait till that bottom has been visibly reached Mm. before you actually get back in Mm. and we certainly haven't got there with the miners i don't think um i think wpp was interesting and uh uh, Martin Sorrell, Sir Martin Sorrell, came out and said that you know he was very bullish still on China's prospects, which um, yeah. is important for for WPP being a massive global uh, marketing advertising agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he used his own uh, marketing soapbox to advertise his views. No, no, it, it it is. I mean, he's. I mean, of course, his strategy is very much around inv- investing in growth markets, emerging that is emerging markets and mm. uh, that seems to be still the call he's making well it makes sense because whatever's going on in china um you know whatever's happening to the infrastructure investment there which is a, which is really the main reason the miners are getting hit because that's that's mm. being uh reduced mm. you know the the shift in that economy towards a more consumer-led society is still happening Mm-hmm. Regardless. And should benefit a, a, and an should advertising benefit. group. I mean, the, yeah. the, the worry I think some people have had is that the, the market sell-off has a wealth effect there and people feel a bit less rich and spend a bit less money. But Tim Cook came out this week, didn't he, After the on, on Black Monday? Even. Yeah, he did. Because um, uh, Apple's shares took an absolute beating. They did. I mean, you, arguably, I suppose you could expect that given just they are so big. So obviously, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, I guess. But um, yeah, um, CNBC's Mad Money presenter Jim Cramer apparently is quite a charismatic chap. He's mad. Obviously, yep. Yeah, fancied his chances uh, with a comment from Apple, which is quite rare, apparently. And so, you know, penned a little email to to the chief uh, over at Apple and got a response, um, which was basically, we're doing fine in China and have been throughout July and August when all this, um, you know, sort of catastrophe in the markets has been going on. So, the yes, consumer markets economy, might be. Yeah, I mean, that backs up Smart and Sorrel's point isn't it that the consumer economy is still healthy yeah and the market turbulence over there doesn't seem to have yet anyway had an impact on that sentiment it seems like apple's shops in beijing and wherever else it has shops in china are are bustling and full well there you go so martin soul's right tim cook's right jim kramer's wrong (laughs) i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay um in the news, we also have some interesting M&A activity. So, um, I mean, let's start at the bottom. 99p. Yes, um, the the deal that, um, I, I kind of like uh, the little intro here, what's the difference between 99p and a pound? Well, the Competition and Markets Authority thought there could be quite a lot. They, they wanted to look into this when um, Poundland approached the 99p stores chain to purchase it. Um, but it's been given the green light. And um, so, yeah, now... We're going to have the nighttime piece stores owned by Poundland. I mean, I think the the point that the prices um, will change. I don't know. Are they going to rebrand it? Are they rebranding? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I think the point here was that um, you know the CMA was concerned that the two most dominant fixed price discounters were merging, and I mean, I I, I guess I, I was always sympathetic to the the viewpoint of of Poundland on this one, which is that well that. They're not just competing against 99p, are they? They're competing against all the other retailers, which is, a, as we know, a ferociously competitive market. So the idea somehow that some lack of competition um, there, I mean, I, I always thought it was a bit of a, 
absurd. Um, yeah, the CMA, <laughs> they do have a habit of picking some funny fights. They do have a habit. I mean, I tell you, I have to say, I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong. They're very valuable, but yeah. Well, they are, but I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, the, the deal that got scuppered by, by the CMA recently was Brit Vic, AG Bar. I could never get my head around what problem they could possibly have with mm. that with that merger. They're sort of different companies. I never got yeah. it, but there you go. Okay, let's let's move up the scale a bit. Yeah, uh, Paddy Power and yeah. Betfair, which is quite interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, obviously is the latest in the line of uh, quite a fervent M and A market in the gambling sector. Um, it uh, comes shortly after Ladbrokes and Gala Coral announced their proposed merger. There's the ongoing fight for B-Win Party Digital Entertainment between GVC and 888, which rattles on. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, but, yeah, Betfair and Paddy Power coming together is interesting. It creates a very large company. I think it will be UK, the UK's biggest gambling company, actually. And I think the point you make is that because of the pressures that have, have hit this industry of late, in particularly tax and regulatory pressures, yeah, there's been a scale, lot of, scale is, is kind of impo- increasingly necessary. It, it seems to be that that would be the case. Yeah, you've had the point of consumption tax, which the government introduced to try and obviously um, tax online gamblers. And then you've had the ma- machine games duty, um, which taxes the fixed... Um, fixed large betting terminals. Yeah, thank you. Don't go near them. No, don't worry. Um <laughs> So yeah, I mean there, there are there are pressures on these businesses, but um, actually Paddy Power and Betfair have weathered them pretty well individually, and so together it seems like they will probably be okay. Um, and there's a good um, there's a good crossover between the two companies, or maybe I should say there's a lack of crossover, which makes it yeah, a good bet yeah. um, for them to join because Paddy Power has a high street presence, whereas Betfair does not. Paddy Power's got a good Australian business, Betfair does not. Yeah, Betfair has a presence in the US, Paddy Power does not. So. Perhaps the main thing, though, is, is is the fact that the chief executive of Betfair used to work for Paddy Power. Indeed, yeah, Betfair so actually poached him, so, so and the, he will know, stay the chief of the merged entity. If yeah, it goes so, so he knows both companies, which I think is really vital in a merger. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like a perfect deal. It does, yeah. I mean, <laughs> one of the analysts said um, it was a must a must buy, you know, for the sector. I mean, they yeah. just they could not see a problem with it, and key people, as you know, Stephen points out, are staying. Um, Brion Corcoran, I uh, hope I've said that correctly, um, Betfair's chief exec, you know, he was at Paddy Power at the top. He knows both businesses extremely well. So it's very, very interesting as it creates the UK's largest gambling company, one of the world's largest, apparently. Um, and yeah, um, also interestingly, again, a keen reader of Lombard, obviously, but Paddy Power actually joked about a month ago in a tweet that had been taken over by Betfair. So now that jokes become yeah, that, reality yeah it's a, that's a really interesting one about what you're allowed to see on social media as a company isn't it because yeah i mean it seemed to be like leak effectively effectively it leaked one could argue that, yeah. well, that's assuming that anything was actually happening at that well point. i'm sure that a month ago i'm sure a month ago been, i know I mean, these things can move quickly but well it can move quickly i mean once the once the conversation is being had and the deal is agreed i mean that yeah. doesn't take too long what yeah. takes also, a long time is the due diligence which is that, that comes yeah. afterwards. And also the person and tweeting probably wouldn't be at the uh, yeah, board meeting. Well, no. yeah, who, yeah who, who knows? Maybe maybe it was the tweet that, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't, thoughts. Maybe it wasn't credit for the idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> it was a joke. Thought, hang, on, <laughs> hang on, that's a great idea. <laughs> Investment bankers charge a fortune for yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> But no, it seems like um, it seems like it's been a very well received deal by markets. Um, both stocks were up um, a bit more than twenty percent actually yesterday. One was up twenty percent. One was up about eighteen, I think. Um, it's been taken very well. Analysts are very positive, and as I said, the 
it looks like there's it's a good fit. There's not too much crossover. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Paddy Power. I used to cover Sector many, many years ago. Um, and I met Paddy Power. I mean, they, they have a, a reputation for being rather irreverent, um, which, yeah, that's the image they, they project to the public. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're always putting, putting stunts. Uh, I saw them at the Tour de France recently in Epping, and, and there were these guys building a, like a sort of market stall opposite where we were watching it, and nobody could work out what they were up to. And about five minutes before the bikers came through, uh, the sign went up. It was the uh, Paddy Power urine swap, clean urine swap over stand. And basically, <laughs> <laughs> they'd basically got all these little pots of yellow liquid. Brilliant! <laughs> it was appalling. It's on my Twitter feed if you want to go <laughs> look at it. Um, but they they hijacked uh, the Ryder Cup in Wales a few years yeah. ago. They hijacked, they built like Hollywood style signs at one of the big racing events, and they've always getting themselves in trouble. Um, and it's always been interesting why they've done so well compared to uh, but the Lad thing Brooks is, and William Hill because their marketing is amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and is it is it to do with this? But I mean, it's not that that makes them successful. It's what's behind the scenes. And, you know, when I spoke to them, it's like, yeah, this is the image we portray. What goes on behind the scenes is very different. You know, we, we employ, you know, the, the brightest maths PhDs to manage the risk for, on our books. You know, these are guys that would have perhaps been working in the, in the city before um, managing the books at, at, at Paddy Power. Yeah, proper firm. Hmm. Got both ends of the spectrum right. And I guess they don't have the, the long, uh, they don't have the long, although they've got a retail presence, they don't quite have the same long tail of... Of high street shops. No, they don't have as big a, a no, drag there. No. Um, no. It's big enough. It's a good it's, presence. It's and what they big. what they said to me at the time, probably um, when you meet them, they'll say to you as well. I mean, it's, it, it, that presence is important because it, 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 it lets people know they're there. Yeah. 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 You know, it doesn't feel and, legacy uh, in a way. It feels no, like they've not no. got too much excess. Whereas with people like Ladbrokes and Gala Coral, you're seeing them kind of closing a number of shops because they've almost yeah, gone I mean, a bit too far. Too far, exactly. It doesn't feel the like they've had their results weighed down for ages by closures. I mean, it's. Yeah. Been... No, it's tremendous. Tremendous firm. Okay. Um, sticking to the MA theme, uh, RSA. Yeah, RSA um, got its. Uh, uh, finally got the, the, the proposal from Zurich that everyone had been waiting for and they did kind of pre-announced um but um it's not you know a done deal yet but it i mean uh, Stephen hester the um the executive uh there uh, who used to run rbs obviously um has said that he thinks it's attractive and uh one question i would have on yeah. this so we say in the piece that you know he's largely completed the turnaround it's been a troubled business not yeah. been great for shareholders no absolutely um yeah. but the turnaround has been ongoing for a while largely complete now Zurich stepping in just as the, the hard work is done. Yeah. Are shareholders leaving something on the table here? Yes, I mean, actually, I talked to Jonas about what angle he was trying to take on this because he, he seemed like he was hedging his bets massively in the IC view. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, because there is, exactly, there, there is that. Um, yeah, they, they, it looks like they might be getting a pretty good price. You know, it's presumably what they think as well. You know, after these kind of situations, shareholders do welcome a chance to close out a, a holding which has probably given them some pain so mm. and sort of psychological stress so i don't know i i don't imagine that many people will be that sad to see see it go yeah no one likes to leave money on the table though. but well, hey but what you know, can you do want an exit what can don't you, you do okay so an exciting week on the m&a front um just despite a very um, blustery week on the market. So yeah. It's a bit of an yeah. odd, odd odd one, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, when, you, when you're when you doing deals, you're not really thinking about what's going on over in, 
in China. In, in what I not argue a, again, short, it was though. also something that was yeah. rather predictable. I mean, you know, yeah, we had big sell-offs Monday, Tuesday in China, but I mean, the 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 uh, the government and the regulators there have been struggling to to fend this off for quite some time. Something was always going to go. Pete Tong there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the shares are still up massively over the year. It's just uh, there was this sort of huge hype in, around sh- Chinese shares in the f- in the first couple of quarters. Mm. And it, and it's come off. But you're not worried as you write in your column. No, I'm not hugely worried. I uh I I think yeah, mainly because of the the fact that I don't see as anything has changed. I think, you know, the the dovish the doves will come out when um when these kind of things happen yeah and and, uh, and they will bail us investors out for a bit longer i mean you know at some point it's all going to shift but it's not quite it's not clear to me that that's yet but so then, are we going to be topping up the shaftesbury holding I, wa- <laughs> I watched your video it was very good shaftesbury walk it's the first time i've ever watched the shaftesbury walk i've done the shaftesbury walk um yeah you know um, our our new ipad edition is out uh today isn't it oh John? yeah graham oh yes. oh is it very nearly John <laughs> we're nearly there we're nearly there it should be uh, so re- really should be able to enjoy it readers can actually watch so whilst, it, whilst they listen to this podcast so so, so yeah what's what, what's new in the, the new iPad edition what, what can we expect from um, it's a much better uh, experience uh, or, or, or the, the existing the current iPad edition is, is a page turner yeah uh, this is more a, a richer experience there's links through back through to the website and to tear sheets on companies the data uh, on the companies that you're reading about you should be able to listen to this this podcast within the uh whilst reading the the app as well and it's just very much more suited to uh to to, to reading on on tablet and also is available on mobile phone for the oh, first right, time okay. which is good not my mobile phone you won't, you won't update your operating system. I can't update my operating so system. So you say. It's too, my phone is too full. I have to empty it of everything I've put in it before I can upgrade. That, thanks, Apple. Mm. <laughs> Not enough storage. Not enough, well, I can't upgrade it. I can't well, put any more email, memory in it. Email Tim Cook. I mean, he got back to uh, Jim Cramer. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would just tell me, go and buy a new phone, you tight watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, all right, that's enough. That's enough of uh, highlighting my, my phone's inadequacies. Um, plenty more in the magazine. We haven't even talked about the features, one of which relating to Apple is uh, the end of cash. Obviously, Apple are uh, a big player in this with their new Apple Pay system. Uh, Ian Smith and Theron Mohammed have, uh, have looked, Ian, who covers the banks, and Theron, who covers technology, have, have looked at, at how um, cash is, is basically on the way out. And, you know, within a few years, we could be... Uh, we could be in a, ca- a cashless society. Um, and uh, it's, it's really interesting. And Theron has looked at some of the companies that are actually making that happen. Um, if you go to our website, uh, you will be able to download uh, a spreadsheet relating to our second feature, which, which is uh, written by Philip Ryland uh, about the dividend discount model. And he, he argues that this is one of the most important tools you have at your disposal for valuing shares. Um, so there's a spreadsheet and a video to, uh, to accompany that. Text focus on uh, junior oil and gas. And, and a video to accompany that. And too. a video to accompany that as well. I mean, my goodness, we are so multimedia. It's uh, beyond belief. It's beyond belief. Um, that's really interesting. Alex uh, Newman uh, has written that, really looking at, at how um, the, the sell-off has really affected junior oil and gas companies much worse than some of the larger uh, oil and gas players, uh, like Shell, for example. Stephen, you top it up on them. 
Well, I'm following your advice, John, and uh, waiting. <laughs> you know, never has Sel in May come back on St. Ledger's Day worked so well. That's very true. And uh, so maybe September is the time to wait. Okay. But what Alex is doing is really looking at uh, perhaps the fact is if you want to get back into Judy Oil and Gas, if you really are thinking that there's some value to be found there, what you should perhaps be looking at. Um, Plenty in the personal finance and fund section. We're looking at smart beta ETFs there. Um, and uh, in your money, uh, ways that you can um, mitigate the new dividend tax increases that are coming in uh, next year, next April, I think it is. Um, and uh, yeah, all the usual stuff, tips, more columns there from uh, Cristillo and Nicole, the trader, and Simon's really um, put his mark on, on the, the latest uh, market sell-off. Um, yeah, a really, a really busy week, an exciting week. Um, and uh, a jam-packed magazine. So uh, anyway, I'm on holiday next week, so one of you guys can take the hot seat here. And uh, I will see you in a couple of weeks, but you guys will be back uh, to, to join us hopefully uh, next week when, uh, when one of the team uh, takes my place. Absolutely. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.